just before I was six years old, if you can think back that far, my mother, who was crying at the time, and she never cried much, she told me that my grandfather had been called home to heaven by God. Um, we did not attend, attend church as a family, and we didn't use that kind of language in our house. Um, my father, who was also very upset, he immediately got on a plane and left us to be with his mother. Shortly afterward, it uh, could have been that same day, I told my girlfriend Janie's mother that my grandfather decided to go to heaven. When my mother heard what I had told Janie's mother, she was furious, and I was sent to bed. Apparently, when I said my grandfather decided to go to heaven, it sounded like I meant that my grandfather committed suicide. Very scandalous at that time. Maybe some of you can remember. But also, I guess it somehow in increased my mother's distress that I might have maybe sullied his character. And, of course, she was worried that the neighbors would talk. While in bed for my punishment... I had to go to the bathroom, but my mother was so upset, I was afraid to sneak out of bed and go to the bathroom because she was so angry with me. Guess what? I wet the bed and I got in more trouble. It sounds small, but from that time on, injustice towards me and others that I love has bothered me because I so pointedly remember that first experience with injustice. And, you know, just about then you become a rational being, about five, six, somewhere in there. I remember clearly what it felt like to be unfairly judged and how powerless I was to explain or fix the problem. My punishment was such a hardship to me not getting out of bed that I compounded my trouble by wetting the bed. I have been acutely aware of the need for an unbiased arbiter of justice to see into our hearts clearly, to see the intent, and to give out fair punishments. And of course, like many of you, I have often wished for those who need to be punished to be found out. The inherent worth and dignity of every person which is our first principle, and the last principle, the interdependent web of existence, are the two principles that bracket or support the other five principles. They are the principles that call to each of our hearts most closely and clearly and with a very, very strong force. And I'm just like every other Unitarian Universalist and can say that they are the two statements that told me I was home spiritually. To me, the first and seventh are clear and obvious. They use words to explain concepts that require an attitude of the mind. They are both starting points for the rest of the other five principles. I admit, I struggle a bit with the first because there are some people, I confess, who I think are in their first incarnation as human and previously were maybe cockroaches or salamanders, but I can at least start with courtesy, and often I can excuse their perceived bad behavior 
in light of a disease, lunacy, or lack of experience of being human. The last principle, respect for the interconnected web of all existence, of which we are a part, conveys a sentiment that has been part of me since I was a small child. From my first memories of big trees and the wind in their leaves and bugs and moths and grass. But the second principle, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, is the one that has really caused me the most angst in my life. There are statues depicting the goddess Justice all over the Western world. They generally have a woman holding scales in her left hand. And these goddess sculptures can be traced back to the Egyptians, can you believe it, to their goddess Mat and later Isis. Funny right there, right? Since the 15th century, Lady Justice has often been depicted wearing a blindfold. The blindfold represents objectivity. Justice should be meted out objectively, without fear or bias, regardless of money, wealth, fame, power, or identity. True justice is impartial. The earliest Roman coins depicted justice with a sword in one hand and her scale over here. And that sword is a double-bladed sword sword, representing reason and punishment and the coercive power of justice in the world. We have a deep cultural history of identifying the quality or personification of justice with the divine being. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. We all have some idea of justice. And all of us at one time believed or were told that God knew who was just or unjust in the world. Justice is a value that the divine is interested in. Justice has a spiritual component to it. In our second principle, justice, equity, and compassion, what does the word compassion entail? Compassion is a very old word. It is a combination of two words, with and suffer. You are suffering with someone when you experience compassion. Compassion is defined as the sympathetic consciousness or awareness of another's distress together with a desire to alleviate it. There is the beginning of action with that awareness. So compassion has an active element to it, the desire to help or to fix. Compassion starts, obviously, with empathy, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, imagining what it would be like to be them, and then, like the Good Samaritan, helping as you would like to be helped yourself if you were in that position. I don't remember any compassion being shown to me as I lay in my bed being punished for inadvertently saying the wrong thing. In fact, I do remember my older brother smirking about it. Wetting my bed, 
only added to my misery. My mother was too wrapped up in her own distress, her sense of loss and grief. She was greatly bothered that our neighbors thought my grandfather, a man my mother admired greatly, had killed himself. My mother was not able to show me compassion because of her emotional turmoil. There was no one to alleviate my misery. Where was Lady Justice with her scales weighing my intent? I didn't mean, mean or intend to say the wrong thing. I meant no harm. I was unfamiliar with the words used, and I don't remember being aware of suicide until this episode. Where was that benevolent God who was so interested in my well-being? Compassion is a one-on-one -on -one action. It works on the individual level. Many times when we are moved by compassion to help, we are fixing a wrong, something that was not fair. Like in the Good Samaritan story, a person was robbed, stripped, and beaten, and left on the side of the road, and no one showed him any compassion until the Good Samaritan showed up. Where was my Good Samaritan? Our second principle also has the word equity in it. What is equity? It is the quality of being fair and impartial. Our second principle calls us to be even-handed and fair in human relations. Was my punishment fair? Did Lady Justice's sword of reason and punishment protect me? When we see a person in some kind of distress, the motion of compassion compels us to act. So often that action does involve correcting an inequity, like the lack of housing, food, medical care, discrimination, or financial woes. Many times that action involves others. The Samaritan needed the innkeeper's help. So both the innkeeper and the Samaritan were involved in the treatment of this injured man. It's too bad the beaten man in the Good Samaritan story was not deemed worthy of notice or help by others on the road because he was not of their religious faith or was viewed as a beggar. He was discriminated against. When an act of compassion involves groups of people like social workers, nurses, doctors, and people of conscience, there may be the beginnings of a movement to enact policies or institute laws to, that help to prevent more people from being in the same predicament. The last part of the second principle involves justice. Justice is a communal norm of treatment. It is supposed to be fair, unbiased, and applied to all equitably. Were the robbers in the Good Samaritan story ever caught? Were the priests who ignored the beaten man ever punished for their lack of action? When we are in distress, we are somewhat like a child. Like I was when I got into trouble, we are vulnerable and not in control of the situation. We are at others' mercy. 
Lady Justice's eyes are usually blindfolded to signify that money, wealth, fame, power should not be used to determine the punishment or course of action. For me as a little girl, obviously, my treatment was not fair. It was unjust. But I also remember being very upset with God for being unjust to my grandfather calling him home to heaven when my grandfather was having a vacation. He was camping and fishing and doing the fun things that he liked to do. Why not wait till later? How just was that? God was not even-handed because some people got to wait until they were real sick or very old, but not my grandfather. If God was just, he would have waited to call my grandfather home at a better time, not when he was enjoying life. I saw God as capricious, capable of being unreasonable, and not respecting the values and needs of the humans he created and was supposed to care about. Maybe that was why I said my grandfather chose to go to heaven with God. My grandfather then was not powerless, but in control. I don't know. But this was my first religious crisis. God was definitely found wanting. All of us have experienced justice ourselves and witnessed it around us. I have been deeply wounded by the perceived injustice inflicted upon my children and my spouse over the years. Living in the South before 1960, I remember whites-only water fountains and bathrooms and being incredulous that only certain kids could use them. What happened if you had to go and you weren't the right color for the bathroom? When I was a bit older, I learned about the Holocaust and was haunted by nightmares and a sense of how this could have happened. Where was that just divine being that should have, could have prevented this? Was anybody punished for what they did? What was their punishment? Is there a punishment that is worse than death? Where was God when this happened? Relying on an external, outside arbiter like a divine being for serving out justice excuses all of us for our inaction. Hylas Lassie said, Throughout history, it has been the inaction of those who could have acted, the indifference of those who should have known better, the silence of the voice of justice when it mattered most, that has made it possible for evil to triumph. Compassion happens at the individual level. It is personal. Many acts of compassion lead to more fairness, more equity in the world. Justice is the accumulation of this growing sense and expectation of fairness in our society. It is human-made, a compilation of all the individual compassionate acts that we do each day. But these actions, these actions of compassion, they are spiritual practices too. They benefit not just the receiver, but the doer. These acts have the power to change our world for the better. And I look back 
and all the accumulated acts of compassion have changed the world since I was a small child. Suicide is looked at with more sympathy. There is less discrimination. And when it is identified, we start to act upon it. There are things like universal health care that we're now talking about. We're talking about equal rights for all people. Yes, it's an ongoing conversation, but it's a conversation that we used to not have. The welfare of our environment is now of importance. The value of wild places and the animals and plants that inhabit them is ever more evolving. A lot has changed in my lifetime. And with all our troubles, the current ones notwithstanding, 2016 is better than 1960. All of this progress starts with simple acts of compassion that build into those local policies and laws and eventually into a global movement. It does matter what we believe. It does matter what we do, what we put our energies to. The Reverend Emily Gage has written in the seven principles in word and worship, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations points us towards something beyond inherent worth and dignity. It points us to a larger community. It gets us at collective responsibility. It reminds us that treating people as human beings is not simply something we do one-on-one, -on -one, but something that has systemic implications and can, form, and can inform our entire cultural way of being. Compassion is something that we, we can easily act on individually. We can demonstrate openness, give people respect, and treat people with kindness on our own. But we need one another to achieve equity and justice. They're all justice, equity, and compassion. They're all of the same package. Just as the second principle overlaps with the first, so it is related to the seventh principle, the interdependent web of all existence. Theodore Parker said, it's one of my favorite quotes, we cannot understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one and our eyes reach but a little way. We cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight, but we can divine it by conscience and we surely know that it bends towards justice. My personal struggle with justice has taught me that I truly do not know if there is a moral universe. But I do divine by conscience that our collective idea of what is moral and just does grow and change with time. That what was once acceptable is no longer like slavery. And that it is all connected. Remember, as Hylas Lassie has said, the inaction of those who could have acted, the indifference of those who should have known better, the silence of the voice of justice when it mattered most, and all these make it possible for evil to triumph. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
it does matter how we treat each other because it can change everything. Blessed be.